Welcome back to Vibes Hockey Club. Yeah. Yes, that's right. The vibes, the vibes, Jake, are better than ever. Did you notice? We're just we'll get into the game right away. But did you notice that Kevin Weeks asked Radko Gudis after the game about how were the vibes in the locker room? Yeah. And oh man, if he would have somehow said we're vibes HC, he there's should've. no way he would say that. But oh. Missed opportunity. If he would have, very much a missed opportunity by Radko there, which just would have been the icing on the cake from what was probably his most impactful game as a Duck so far this season. Probably. I think, yeah, I think without a doubt you could say that. Probably. Um, yeah, so if it, if we haven't given it away yet, so this is a, a post-game podcast. We haven't done one of these in a long time. And, man, I'm fired up because we have a game that made me fired up to talk about, like – I was, you know, through the first half of this game, the Ducks beating the Nashville Predators three to two in Nashville without Leo Carlson, without Trevor Zegras. I thought, man, this game is not looking good. Nope. You know, we're not going to have much to talk about. We're going to have to go back to talk about these other games that the Ducks also didn't look great in. This is kind of rough. And just bit by bit, you know, just kind of small gain by small gain, play by play. The Ducks clawed their way back into this one, and this was a signature win. This is a signature win for any team in a season because you're on the road against a team that's playing well, that has a lot of talent, hostile environment, down your down two-thirds of your top line. And, you know, of course, the, the Leo Carlson bit is by choice, but Trevor Zegers yeah. on IR, like, you are, you are missing key, key components of your roster, and... You know, to to hold down the fort, to not to to bend but not break, and to eventually find the openings, and at, and at certain points have the predators kind of on the ropes, like like the, yeah. the ducks were controlling play for 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 stretches down the end. Like it's just it's just all it's just gutsy. It's just yeah. all guts. I think this is a game that I'll look back on, and it's one where I feel like in the moment, this is an interesting game. I think just overall from a big picture perspective, because I think in the moment. I think a lot of people felt this, especially in the first period. You're watching it almost... You had, in some ways, flashbacks, I think, to last season. Not in the sense of the amount of quality of chances that they were allowing, but just the fact that it felt like the entire game was in their own zone, which is going to happen. Every team has those stretches, regardless if they're a great team or not. You're going to have games where that ends up happening. Um, but I think the, the stark difference here is I feel like that impacts your mindset. We were kind of watching it, and you kind of think, oh, they're on the back foot. They're losing this game. They're not playing great. They're playing a crappy game, yada, yada, yada all these different things. But this is a game where we'll kind of look back on, and this might be one of their best kind of overall team performances that they've had on the whole. Because if you look at the numbers at five on five, and I think right now just ignoring special teams, because special teams did play a big part in this game, but purely at five on five, the Ducks really did have that bend but not break attitude. And they really did a very strong job of even when they were under pressure in their own zone and turning pucks over, they were staying on their man, on their checks. They, You did not see them have any really big defensive breakdowns that led to glorious scoring chances right in front of the net. And that's really what kind of pans out when you look at kind of the game flow and look at the numbers at five on five, that kind of after that first period, Nashville had maybe one good flurry. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to see right now. I'm looking at evolving hockey overall, but it felt like kind of everything was kept to the outside. Nothing really got into the slot. There were really no front net chances. Yeah. If you look at the Nashville kind of game flow after that, uh, the, the first goal from Philip Forsberg, which technically was at five on five, it was like a flat line. 
overall at five on five for Nashville. They got a lot of shot attempts. They got a lot of shots on goal um, or more than the Ducks, not necessarily a lot, but they were all kind of kept to the outside. And that is exactly kind of, I think what Cronin preaches is sure. You want to turn the puck over more um, in the D zone to be able to transition into offense and get more offensive zone time. But when you do get hemmed in your own zone, you cannot allow soft chances to come in the, in the, the slot. And they did not allow that at all in this game. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll kind of go into the beat by beat period yes. by period, but that is the big theme of this game is that ability to survive that early, you know, that early push by the predators, because the way that the ducks want to defend in the defensive zone, you have, you know, it's, it's man on man. And, I heard the the broadcast. I think it was another broadcast talking about how this is, or no, it was an article. It was an article, I think, on Elite uh, EP Ringside, how this is what the Ducks were doing last year, and now they're just doing it better. And I wholeheartedly disagree. You yeah. know, the way that they're playing right now, it's very simple. The guy closest to the puck is going to pressure the living crap out of that puck carrier, but he's going to stay inside of him. He's not going to overextend try to reach in and get yep. the puck. He's just going to stay between him and the net. Everyone else, the four other guys, they're going to stay with their check. And when they overlap and it, one guy comes into into a different area, then you can potentially switch off. So there, there are some zone elements to it. But the big key is that it's not necessarily that you're keeping things to the outside. It's that because you're muddying it up, because there's always a body on body, the other team can't create those pockets of space. Those give and goes don't turn into outnumbered situations within the offensive zone. You know, there were there were moments in this game where the Ducks had to send two two guys on the puck carry because it's a bad puck. Those are the only situations you're going to see the Ducks do that. They're not trying to outnumber the the puck carrier because when you do that, when you send two at the puck, you have to pull it off. Otherwise, that's when you get these breakdowns. And the Ducks yep. really held firm to their simple yet effective strategy. And I mean, the, the downside of that, the, the, the kind of the, the flip side of that coin is that because you're so kind of static and really just focused on defending, it makes it really hard to get the puck out and, and create offense. Also, the Predators are a solid team, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the Predators are one of the, I think they're top 10 in five-on-five five expected goals. And so yeah. if you look at the numbers that the Ducks were able to limit the Predators to, they limited the Predators, predators to 1.0 expected yep. goals at five on five there were yep. a lot of there was out. a lot of there was a lot of special teams play but 1.0 expected goals the ducks didn't generate a whole lot to be fair at five on five 1.45 for the ducks but that kind of feels about right where the ducks were hemmed in their own zone a lot didn't allow a whole lot but when they got their chances to break they were able to break and create some odd man opportunities to get some really good chances and they had some spells in the offensive zone where i think we saw them have some of their best cycle game when they had those those yes. uh those uh those sequences. I think there was one, and we'll get beat by beat. We keep saying that, but there yeah. was one in the third period specifically by the, what was it? The Gru Silverberg Jones line. Do we, do we call them the, do we call them the fourth line or the third line? Cause technically I think they're the third line, but I don't From know a, if I, if I, I mean, buy that or not. They're the third line currently, but there are two, there are three forwards out that would be better than them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. These guys, these guys played pretty well. I don't okay. want to bash for, them too much. Two forwards yeah. would for sure be better than them. Yeah, Brock McGinn would be better than at least one of them. Yeah, but getting into the getting into the first period yeah. though, we we kind of talked about a lot of the things. That was the big theme of that first period is the Ducks just really stuck in their own zone. 
bending, not breaking. But the downside is that when they got the puck back, they weren't able to generate speed. And one of yeah. the Ducks' hallmarks off of their breakout is that they're able to get that kind of second player off the puck to trail with speed, and he's available for a quick outlet. And because they were so stuck back, you just you have tired legs or you're just not in a position to do that. And so that was the thing that that was honestly more worrying to me in the first period. Because yes. we've, we, we've seen the Ducks be able to defend before, and, and, and we've seen them kind of be in these types of situations. You know, I think back to the very first game against Vegas, right? Yeah. The thing is, though, they weren't able to get those clean exits. Now, you could say, is that because of the system? Is that because of personnel? I think it's obviously a bit of both. Yeah, I was about to ask you, how much of that do you think is impacted by missing a Trevor Zegers and missing a Leo Carlson? Where yeah. I, I think in some ways, in some ways, having those breakouts can be a bit infectious, right? When you're able to do it, you're able to put teams on their heels and it kind of builds momentum for every line to kind of carry over and keep doing that and keep doing that. Yep. And so Leo Carlson, I think, is so pivotal to his line having those breakouts. And when you add Trevor Zegers into that mix, I mean, you look at the numbers that they've had, they are very rarely defending overall. And so that kind of leads to them having these clean breakouts and getting offensive zone chances and just not being in their own zone very often. And I feel like that can lead to uh, other lines kind of picking up that slack and kind of building off of that. Because once one line does that, gets the offensive zone time, it kind of sets you up in a better place because even when they end up turning it over in the offensive zone, it ends up kind of coming back the other way, maybe a dump in and you can get that cleanly and keep going and keep that kind of cycle of getting out of your own zone quick, getting into the offensive zone, having a transition chance as a result. It's kind of infectious in some ways with that. And so I think, I think you're spot on. I, I think it's a lot of players and personnel. And I think having missing a Leo Carlson, missing a Trevor Zegers really impacts them from that perspective. Yeah. And the word infectious makes a lot of sense because when you're stuck in your own zone, you know, to get out, you're going to have to clear it out. It's a less than ideal breakout if you're even going to break out at all, or if you're just clearing it out and then you can never get reset. You can never regroup because you're just stuck doing the same thing over and over again. Whereas when you're getting clean exits, you get it below the other team's goal line. You're able to set up. They have to then get it out somehow. They're tired and you're kind of playing on even, on even ground. And to that point, I think another kind of, if we're just going to briefly touch on some of the negatives from this game, penalties still still are an issue for this well, team. They have not gone away. Yeah. And when we're talking about infectious and momentum and kind of building upon throughout the game, that Mason McTavish penalty early on. The grab. Really, yeah, it really kind of put this team in a little bit of a bind because it felt like they were starting to get on the front foot. They had an offensive zone time. They had a forecheck. They were starting to get a little bit of chances from that line. And then McTavish has this grab, which, I mean, to be quite frank, McTavish has been fantastic, but he has had a decent amount of these these penalties where he wraps his arm around the guy and gets called for a hold, and it'll, it'll happen below his own goal line and below the other team's goal line. It, it's something that needs to be cleaned up because I think that penalty, while uh, the Ducks were able to kill it, Nashville is really able to build off of that and get the momentum going off of that, and the Ducks really couldn't get their footing, it felt like, in the first period after that penalty happened. Well, both McTavish and Vakaninen had grabbing. I'm calling them grabbing penalties because they were such obvious holds. Yes. But that is part of the flip side of playing the style where you're constantly pressuring, constantly yeah. defending in your own zone. Doesn't mean you have to commit a penalty, but your legs get tired. Your mind gets yeah. tired. You're more prone to mistakes in those situations. Yeah, I think the offensive zone ones are more glaring as a result of that, though, where kind of you're not in the situation where you need to press in your D zone to turn a puck over. You're trying to get yeah. in on the forecheck and you take a penalty below the other goal line. That really does end up killing your momentum throughout that first period. But as we said, 
the Ducks were able to really kind of bend but not break in that period. Yeah, and I think a, a huge part of that, a huge, huge part of that in the first period to me was John Gibson. Yep. I mean, he, I did not know this. I probably should know, but he has a nine, he had a 926 save percentage going into tonight. Yeah. He's, I he's been I, excellent. I haven't seen that kind of number uh, for John Gibson in a long time, but I mean, there were a couple of just really great saves. He had a great glove save on Philip Forsberg, where For- Forsberg got a clean look, you know, walking down, you know, skating downhill on the power play. This is where the Ducks are shorthanded. And he makes a glove save through a screen. I'm not even really completely sure how he saw it. After that, it's another kind of great chance for Forsberg. He makes like an elbow save on it. And then a one-timer from Ryan O'Reilly that's just wide open. Gibson goes uh, right to left and just gets his pad on it. So I thought that right there, you know, those three great chances, if one of those goes in, you know, it's, I think, a, a different scenario for these Ducks. And so John Gibson... He was great when they needed him to be in this in this game. Yeah, and kind of this whole entire past week, he's he's been fantastic. I mean, we're not going to touch too much on on the games from this week, but against Pittsburgh, two point two seven GSAX, San Jose one point four seven goal saved above expected, and then tonight one point two eight goal saved above expected. Like this has been a fantastic stretch for John Gibson. And what do you, let me put it? Let me ask you this question: What do you think the difference has been, or do you think there isn't a difference? And He's just uh, John Gibson is a bit of a streaky goalie from time to time. And we're in one of those good streaks. I mean, so I'll preface this by saying that I haven't like really dived really that far into his game yep. to, to have like a super nuanced opinion. Yeah. But from watching most of these games and doing the podcast and all that, I'll say that there's a few layers. One is to, I think the last thing you said, we've seen him have great stretches before. Like, it's not like he's been a crap goalie every single game, every single period he's played the last five years. He has had stretches where he's looked amazing, and we have said, maybe John Gibson is back. So, yeah, this isn't necessarily new. The second part is that, like, let's face it, he's playing in a better environment. Like, he mm-hmm. is he is a talented goalie. We know there's talent there, and he's playing within a structure that is just more goalie-friendly. So... Right now, we don't know which is which, right? It's it's hard to kind of pin who, who to give credit for, but I think the answer is it's probably a bit of both. And I think there's actually a third factor also, which is that he's not playing as much as he's had as he's had to in the past. That's I think fair. that do, that does play a factor. Sure, he played back to back games, uh, going at San Jose and then tonight against Nashville, but they're playing again tomorrow, so he's not going to play tomorrow. That's for sure. Lucas Dostal is going to start in that game, and so I mean, he's on. This is his ninth game of the season, and what this is game fifteen, I think, for the Ducks, right? Yeah, fifteen, sixteen. So he started around half the games, maybe a little bit more than half the games, and so that's significantly less than what he's played in the past. It, in the past, it's been, I mean, Dallas Aikens had quotes where he's like, more or less said, you try to tell John Gibson that he's not starting on this night. Um, he's, yeah. He won't take no as an answer. And somehow, some way, Greg Cronin has been able to to get that answer across to him or get that point across to him. And we are seeing a much better John Gibson as, as a result of it. I mean, you look at his numbers, the Dallas game, negative 0.16, so barely below expected. Boston, the, the game in Boston, negative 0.12, so still barely below expected. The rest of the games are all above expected. Like, he has been, he has either been kind of at expectation or significantly better. And that, 
that is huge for this Ducks team because John Gibson, if he can remain this way and be a good goaltender for this team, and Lucas Sustall can do that, the Ducks have a really fantastic tandem that you can have a bad period like this against Nashville. And I think one of the things that we've seen with Cronin is he's been able to kind of take a bad period, make the adjustments, get something across to the team where they, they're able to play a lot better, make an adjustment going into the second and third period. Um, and really get a game back. And so having a goalie that can really stand on his head for you and keep you in a game for that period and help you with that bend but not break mentality as you kind of get your footing in a game and really build your way back into it, that's huge to have that on your back end and that confidence in that type of goaltending there. To, and be, I, I think that also, I'm just kind of going all over, all over the place now and sorry about that, but that also helps build belief in your defenseman and in the system, right? If you know that you're able to execute the system and if you are make a mistake, right? And you have a goaltender back there that is going to clean that up for you. That that's also huge for you not to overthink it and make the wrong play. And that ends up and quite frankly, most of the time when you try to make that extra play or you're overthinking it, that's what ends up leading to these high danger slot chances. It's when you're staying within the system that those don't happen. And so having that confidence that everything's going to get picked up, that's huge to having that belief and staying within that system and not getting away from it. Yeah, and you know, part of this the, the system is helping him too because if you think about John Gibson and what he's really great at, this is something we've said on the podcast is that he's a great first save goalie. He can really snatch one out of the air, he can really make that fantastic first save, but you know, potentially getting across or having to scramble constantly, that's where things can kind of fall apart because he gets over aggressive. We've even seen it at times this season. And this system so far has really limited those kind of cross ice, cross seam, you know, give and go, pick and pop kind of chances where he's having to adjust, make the first save, then readjust. There are some goalies. I, mean, I don't know how many goalies are great at that. Like if you're great at that, you're probably one of the best in the league. But for John Gibson, that's never really been his forte. He can make that first save, however difficult, but then forcing him to readjust is really tough. And this system does kind of help build guardrails around his style. So who knows if that was done intentionally, but defending well helps. Um, yes. Getting it back into the game, though, second mm-hmm. period. So first goal that the Predators score, I don't think it was on John Gibson at all. I mean, it's just kind of a... Fr- I don't want to call it a fluky play, but Philip Forsberg playing, you know, like playing like ping pong by himself in front of the, in front of the ducks net, you know, tapping it, tapping the puck out of the air twice, one time to himself and then batting it into the net. Yes. There were, there was a failed clear by Ilya Labushkin on that play, but it's just kind of one of those where I don't really know how much more you can do if you're the ducks. It's just, you got to tip your cap sometime to great skill. Yeah, I, I think that this was more so a cumulative effect of the Ducks. I mean, this was a third power play that the Ducks had allowed. Technically, the goal comes at five on five, but it was just at the end of yep. the power play. And so this was kind of the the net result of if you take so many penalties, you're eventually going to get power play goals against the Ducks. Had had a really good stretch of killing penalties, but that's not going to remain. It's just not going to happen when, when you're taking these types of penalties. And so... I, I think this is – there's not a whole lot more you can do. Yes, Labushkin should clear the puck, but outside of that from the structure. But those types of goals are just going to ha- – like there's just going to be goals like that that will happen when you are taking so many penalties. Yeah, and even you know if you will say, oh, they should have boxed him out better. It's like, dude, the chances that that happens, <laughs> like 
in, in, in the fraction of a second that it did happen are so low. I just honestly don't know really what, what more else you can do. Yep. Um, moving forward though, I thought that within this game and we'll get into them more, but the, the combo, the trio of Max Jones, Jakob Silverberg and Bo Gru, they had some moments early on where I was kind of like, eh, you know, like mm-hmm. whatever, but it kept coming throughout this game. And they were yeah. one of the, f- they were one of the few tandems throughout this game early on that actually had stuff going. Yeah. I mean, Max Jones had one play where he actually got the puck at the offensive blue line, waited for the play to develop and then got it into the offensive zone. I was like, wow, where, where, where is this coming from? Uh, so, so flowers to Max. And then really, I think, I don't want to call this a turning point, but Radko Gudis just flatlining Philip Forsberg, a fight breaking out. And then Gudis somehow gets an extra uh, penalty for cross-checking. And that sends that sends the Predators to the power play and they eventually score. Mm-hmm. But it felt like from that point onward, you know, there was the Ross Johnston fight after that where Johnson takes a 10-minute misconduct. Like it, it felt like the Ducks, that was when they started getting better was after that point. Yeah, so, brief. So, yeah. so was, it, was it the fighting? I won't go that far. Everyone kind of listening to this knows my views on that. I think it was just... I think the team was playing really well up until that point. And just a brief correction, because you're going to get called out on this. Strom got the penalty, actually, not Gudis for, for oh. cross-checking. So oh. uh, I can got already it. see it in the chat. And so I was like, I'll, one, I'll just one, make that correction. Person. Thank you. Two people. Two people. Two people. Where's, where's uh, the second? That's eh, there. Um, oh. But regardless, um, yeah, I mean, you could make that case if you want to. I think overall, it's just the Ducks continue to play the game that they had been in the second period. And they started getting some more chances at five on five and they started getting some more good looks and kind of pretty quickly after that second goal for Nashville, Cam Fowler ends up with the puck in the, on the right wing and makes a really, really nice shot to beat UC Saros and uh, kind of beat Saros completely clean with that shot. And um, this was a really, really big goal for this team where it felt like they had done such a good job defending and they had done a really good job there, but not created enough offensively. And to get a shot like that and get a goal like that, it kind of puts you back on your front foot. And you start thinking, well, this team's been here before. Are they going to be able to do it again? Well, honestly, the the goal itself on that play was like the the least, I don't want to say least noteworthy because it's the goal, okay. but the setup to that goal, they actually got back into what they do well, you know, mm-hmm. breaking the puck out. So, you know, Strom won a battle along the wall in his D zone and McTavish is able to fly up with speed. He gets it. He collects it. He's able to enter the, the offensive zone with control, gets it to Frank Vetrano, who makes a really nice play, you know, cutting in on that right wing and seeing that there's nothing there. Instead of forcing the play, he actually circles all the way around, puts on a cutback move at the left wing, and, I mean, makes a perfect pass across the ice mm-hmm. to Camp Fowler. Like, that level of passing, I didn't know was not aware that Frank Petrano had in his bag. And then, yeah, Camp Fowler with the nice finish. But that was the Ducks actually getting back to their identity a bit offensively. You know, starting, it all starts in the D zone. It ends up with just great decision-making in the offensive zone. But, yeah, that was just like, man, I didn't I didn't see that coming from Frank Petrano, the playmaker, the vibes yeah. guy. Yeah, I, I'm also now being corrected that uh, the Fowler shot was deflected. I think it did ramp up or deflect off a leg slightly. But yeah. still, really nice shot. Even if it takes that deflection, gets into a really dangerous spot to take the shot there and ends up hitting the net and goes in. 
yeah, a Cam Fowler shot finally worked out. Um, I did not think he played well tonight, by the way. Probably one of, despite the goal. Yeah. <laughs> despite no, the he, fact that he scored, I just don't think this was one of his better games. I mean, the the numbers agree with that, to be to be fair. He was sitting around 30% expected goal share. Him, yeah, him, look, I mean, as you can imagine, if he's been bad, Jackson Lacombe was also going to be poor. And then the fourth line, those were really the only lines below 50%. Yeah, I'm going to get this ramble out of the way right now. But I understand why it's happening. I understand that you're missing players. But we need to get Jackson Lacombe off the right side. Like, we need to free Jackson Lacombe. Because, like, that pairing's numbers aren't good. And watching them play tonight is not the best example. But Lacombe is just constantly put in bad situations because he's always on his backhand. Like, even when he gets it back to his forehand, that extra second... That he has to adjust, it changes the it changes the math on almost every play, and it just makes him less effective. And I just I don't know how you fix this problem long term because of the way this team is set up. But what I hate about this conversation is that it always comes back to this: Jackson Lacombe, well, he played on his off wing in college, therefore he can do it in the NHL. It's like sure he can do it; he's out there doing it. But is he doing it well? Is it helping the team? Is it optimal? I think that it's starting to look like a pretty big fat no. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening once once Jamie Drysdale is healthy. I mean, hell, you could even make a change right now. Put Fowler on his offside, pair him with with Vakanainen, and then yeah. have uh, Lacombe with Gudis. And do that yeah. pretty pretty quickly and make that work. Because Fowler also has played his offside and done it fairly well at various points in time throughout his career. Um, the question is, yeah, when, when Drysdale comes back, I mean, Vakanainen's been good, but I mean, the question ends up being who plays him or Lacombe? And I think without a I mean, doubt, it should be Jackson to, Lacombe. To be honest, as good as Vakanainen has been, for him being like the go-to seventh D-man is a is a great step. Yeah. Like, like, like if he's the guy sitting, but he's also the guy that comes in whenever something, you know, whenever there's an injury or what have you, like for him, that's a big step. Like yeah. That's a good situation. Um, yep. So anyway, I, I have it just written over and over again. Get get Lacombe back on the left. Um, I should say that at the end of the third period, Minchukov had just a great shift. I mean, the Ducks were controlling. He was doing Minchukov things, just yeah. you know, sealing off the wall. Yep. You know, do, do I hate using this term because it feels too fancy, but it's what Daryl Belfry calls like the exit kill. So like the other team's trying to break it out and he's already mm-hmm. on the intended receiver before he gets the puck. He was doing that, you know, making a cross ice pass to Vetrano, keeping possession like that was at least it's it's nice to see that even in a game where the Ducks are on the back foot, Palominchikov was still having well, flashes. If you looked at any sort of extended zone time that the Ducks had almost every single time when you look at who's on the blue line, it's Pavel Minchikov. Yeah. And there was a, a shift, and now it's jumping ahead slightly, but there was a shift later on in the third period with, yeah. with the, the Gru silverberg jones line. That was the and shift. That was the best shift for the Ducks the entire game. Did not end up with a goal, but that was a two minutes of extended zone time, which was huge for them, and to, to build on that. And Pavel Minchikov was just jumping all over the place, containing pucks, uh, stopping any time the puck turned over, and making sure that he got the puck back and kept it in the offensive zone and kept kind of chances moving. I think that... Kevin Weeks had mentioned he had three shot attempts individually on that shift with two of them going on on goal. And so, I mean, we're seeing the emergence of a number one defenseman in the NHL right now. Like, I think without a doubt, I mean, would you agree that, sorry, I almost said Jackson Combe, Pavel Minchikov is the number one defenseman on this team right now. 
he's been the this team's yeah. best defenseman. Yeah. Like it's it's not even really close, honestly. Yep. So and yeah, and so I completely agreed. Um, but yeah, as the game kind of keeps moving on, goes in the third period. And the Ducks end up getting, I mean, they had a couple of these times where the Predators turn the puck over in the own zone. The Ducks are able to get out on the break and we see the defenseman activate yet again in the, into the offensive zone. And Troy Terry is able to enter the, enter the offensive zone um, and then feeds the puck to Radko Gudis, who's kind of coming through the middle and gets a little shot off and ends up beating UC, UC Saros with that shot and has an, a little bit, not an all-timer celebration, but one of the, it's I think an all-timer. The most, is it it's an all timer? Okay. okay. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. It's not an all timer in the sense of it doesn't have the same oomph as like a a knee drop hand on the ice celly, but I think just from the the visual of it of the scream. No, you know what? Like do okay. something else besides the knee drop. Like okay. everyone's doing it now. So fine. But what I, there's a couple of things I love about that play. Go for it. The, the I game time goal. There's a couple of things I really love about it. So one is Alex Kalorn. Like he's the first touch on this play. He's on the left side boards in the D zone. Just makes a nice, simple exit pass, getting it off the boards, getting it off the wall to Earl Vakaninen, who then gets it across the ice to Terry. Terry with the nice zone entry like you talked about. Yep. But what I love the most is that when they showed that camera angle from behind the Ducks net, like behind their zone, you see Gudis start skating up like as soon as the first pass is made. Like before mm-hmm. it ever gets to Terry, Gudis is just marching down the ice. <laughs> He's just sprinting down the ice like I'm going to get this puck no matter what. Like I don't know if it's a it's a design play or or if it's a you know, if it, if it's something that they're just like trying to get to every time. Uh, there's a word I'm looking for that's escaping me, but whatever it is, like whatever went through his mind there, whether it was ingrained in him by the system whether it was just his thought process there he had the right idea because he sprinted all the way down maybe he saw the space he was wide open terry makes a perfect pass to him and he he scores it was just great teamwork like everybody on that play that touched the puck made a great decision whether it was with or without the puck and hey i want to give troy terry's flowers here okay because i have been really on him in our discord because i feel like he's just I mean, it happened again tonight, but he there's a lot of times where he makes the wrong play or he doesn't pass when he should pass. And on this play, he made that one extra little move and then made the right pass, and I'll give him flowers for that. Yep. I, I think it's something, honestly, also with this team where specifically in this game, because we've seen the defensemen activate a bunch, but I think specifically in this game where they're stuck in the, their own zone a lot, and when you see that chance break, you want to jump up into the play. And so I think it was run. important. Yeah, <laughs> run, basically. Run, Radko, run. And so you see them kind of see that opportunity. And so they're going to jump in to try to create that offense. And so Radko Gudis gets a big goal. And you have the two goals throughout the game coming from defensemen. And so um, tied the game up for this Ducks team. I mean, this team is just the vibes, vibes. are there. Pure, I mean, pure vibes. That celebration with him looking like he was about to pop a blood vessel was just like. Just that was Radko Gudis in a nutshell, basically. DB Lowry saying Joseph Wolves getting flashbacks. What? what? Oh, do you not okay. remember? Do you yeah. not remember yeah, the, yeah. the Panthers goal? The, yeah, yeah, the game yeah. seven overtime winner was a game. Whatever game it was, I forgot it was the, Joseph Wool. The series clincher, yeah, where he ends up screaming in his face after the goal scored. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it was it was just like I love seeing these kind of plays. I mean, both of the ducks, the ducks goals, their first two goals, it's just great teamwork. Like everybody having a, a hand in the play and, and making something happen, like those those are the most fun, I think, to me. I mean, of course you love the individual efforts, but that was a lot of fun to see just kind of yep. shake out. Yep. 
All right. Before we kind of keep moving, though, throughout this game, it's time for a word from our sponsor. So the hockey season is finally here. Whether you're a diehard Ducks fan or just looking for a night of exciting sports entertainment, 714 Tickets has got you covered. But here's the best part. At 714 Tickets, we're not just about hockey. We've got tickets to all your favorite sporting events, concerts, and live events right at your fingertips. And the icing on the cake, we don't charge you a single dime in taxes or fees. That's right. And completely, completely right. And it's something you will not find in the current ticket market at all. So at 714 Tickets, yeah. what you see is what you get. You get no surprises at checkout. That price that you see is the price you get. And with their user-friendly mobile app, booking your tickets is a complete breeze. You can browse, select, and secure your seats within minutes. So you can shop online at 714tickets.com, call 714-tickets, or visit their office located right in front of Honda Center. You can get 10% off when you shop online using the code CTP. So if you're trying to go to the game this upcoming Friday to see the Ducks play the Florida Panthers, or maybe you're trying to go to the Black Friday game next week against the LA Kings, which I will be there, you can get tickets at 714tickets.com and once again get 10% off when you shop using the code CTP. Yeah, honestly, as someone who is looking to go to a hockey game next week, not in Anaheim, unfortunately, but... 714tickets has tickets all over the place. Bees suck. Bees yes. really suck. So. It does does not have to be a game at Honda Center. If you go on 714tickets website, I believe uh, one of the people in our Discord bought tickets for Tampa Bay Rays game with 714 wow. tickets. I may have to check them out then because yes. uh, your boy's trying to see some hockey. Okay. There you go. Let's move forward here. After that goal, this was the, sh- the shift happened here. The shift. And I want to give flowers. I'm handing out flowers left and right tonight. Okay. Call yeah. me the flower man. Call me call me flower, Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. But Yeah, wow. Keep, keep going. Three, three guys that I want to highlight on this play. Number one, Bo Grew. Can we just can we just say it? Can we just say that Bo Grew is good? Can we just say that he should be in the NHL? That he should been, be in the lineup? Yes. Yep. Like he he does stuff where I'm just like, this is new. He actually went into the lab, got cooking, you know, whatever lab things whatever people do in labs, he did that and he came out a better player. Like he's he's carrying the puck out to the blue line, puts on a little like, you know, half spin little like yeah. edge fake, like like Sidney Crosby style, you know, and then is able to maintain possession. Like he does that stuff constantly. And then, you know, Max Jones, great board work as well, keeping plays alive. Pavel Minchikov trying to sneak. <laughs> Pavel Minchikov is always trying to sneak in through the back door. Oh, yeah. He, he is always, always there. Um, and so just those three, like – just a joy, just a joy to watch progression in, in different do players' you, games. Do you do you think Bo Gru's game is different when he's at center versus wing? Because this was the first game in a while where we saw him at center. I think for the most part, because of Adam and Rake being shifted to center on that third line, Bo Gru has primarily been a winger. Do you think that has made a difference or, or impacted his game overall in the last couple of times when he's gotten in? And we saw him flourish tonight being back in his natural position. I don't know. I don't think it really mattered in this okay. game because the Ducks were so rarely out on the rush and out like true. Like like a, a lot of his best plays were just off the cycle where the Ducks finally got set up and he's along mm-hmm. the wall. I mean, you could be right. I'd have to go back and look. It, it was just a, it's just an observation where it feels like this is the first time in a while he's actually been at center. He's also playing, which he true. does not always do. True. True. <laughs> but 
you know, I was going to, usually this would be the moment where I would slander Max Jones, but Max Jones had a good game. He like, was this solid. Was, this was a good Max Like, yeah. there were there were moments, there were things. <laughs> there were still moments in the defensive zone that were not great. There were, like, the, the Max Jones one-timers. Can we can we have a moment? Like, I want to I wanna <laughs> be, I want live footage. I want footage of the meeting where Greg Cronin and co were sitting there, you know, in the, in the dark, you know, bowels of Honda center or great park guys, whatever being like, you know what, you know, staring at the film, one coach gets up, stares at the board and is like, that's what we need. Max Jones, one timer. We need to work that into our system. Is this like, like vanilla Terry's one timer from Dallas like, Akins? Like they're looking for it. Like he's, he is looking for it. Like, I just don't understand <laughs> how this got into the lexicon. Like, like how we got here. This is truly the most unexpected thing of, of my lifetime is yeah. Max Jones one timers. He was fine. Like, he was better. Th- he's better. Uh, he played better than he had in the past couple of games. I still do not need to see him on the power play ever again. Yeah. Not not great. Not great at all. Yeah. Um, but that needs to not happen. That that definitely needs to not happen. I mean, they're missing two guys from that top unit. So that's definitely going to impact it. But still. There are my other guys. Th- my thing is, if you're missing Leo and you're missing Zegris, just PP1 for like yeah. almost all of the two minutes just, because just... the the second unit was like just unplayable. Like it was yeah. bad. Um, yep. But but P Blaster brings up in our chat here uh, Parsonen, and this was actually where I was going next because this Go is where it. this is where the Ducks. So there was a really great board battle where Vakaninen was doing a great job keeping up with this Parsonen guy from Nashville, and he eventually gets out of the corner and Kalorn does hold him. So the ducks go to the penalty kill and that's where we get, I'm going to call this, I'm going to call this off the bench and on the board. I don't know if this is too strong, but Radko Gudas blocks a shot that gets him Mm -hmm. right in that tender area of the ankle. And you can see him on the bench. They, they show him on the bench. Biting his glove. Like he's damn near crying. Like a grown man, a grown bearded butcher man, that shit hurts. Almost crying because he got hit in the freaking ankle with uh, just a clapper and then gets back out there shortly thereafter. He's in the offensive zone, has the puck, presence of mind, fakes the slap shot, gets it over to Orvac and blasts it. And I guess Adam Henrique gets a piece of it. Yep. And the Ducks have the lead. So off the bench, on the board for Radko Gudis. And that, my friends, is what got him the rat, the, I almost said Radko Gudis, the Gordie Howe hat trick. Yep. Goal, assist, fight. I know we don't love fighting, but Gordie Howe hat tricks are just fun. And yeah, so agreed. So agreed. love love that moment. Just a yep. lot of fun stuff going on there. Yep. And the Ducks end up taking a three to two lead with that. And you have yet another comeback uh or situation where the Ducks come came back. On back. Yeah. I mean, they came back from down two nothing against Vegas earlier or last Sunday, and then tonight came back from two nothing to take a three to two lead in this game. And I think it just goes to show kind of this team where even when they don't have their best game, they're able to really find a way throughout a game, find a way to, to not cherry pick, but even when they're, they're not getting a bunch of offensive zone time, they're able to find good scoring chances and they're able yeah. to, to find them and then also capitalize on them. And I think that's huge for, for I mean, this team. And yeah. then, and then right after this also big for the team, the ducks were able to draw a penalty. Yeah. Um, Frank Vetrano was able to, to get in on a little two on one, get to the puck and to me, this was huge because it showed that once they got the lead, they weren't sitting back. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Frank Vitrano drove the front of the net and was able to get the puck and draws a penalty in that situation as a result of it, which is huge because it just essentially kills two minutes. The Ducks actually had a pretty good power play also where they got some good looks. But the most notable thing out of that is that two minutes were killed off of that. Yeah, no, that was huge. And the net drive, the the, the feed by McTavish to get that chance, like it was just that was a big turning point as well. And then the Ducks would go to the power play. They don't score, but I'm going to give Troy Terry's flowers again. He, you know, entered the zone with control and I'm expecting him to try to dangle through four guys again and instead makes an extra little pass to Mason McTavish, which results in a scoring chance. So it's like, I feel like a lot of the issues I've had with Terry this season are correctable because he shows flashes of, of doing them, uh, of fixing them. And then very end of the game, John Gibson, net front scramble it feels like this is where the national predators tie it and bang bang save gets in there mayhem in front of the ducks net and they're able to to kill it off or you know kill the game off and and get the win so just that was fun i enjoyed that i greatly enjoyed that yep i think this is one even if the numbers didn't shake out the way they did this would be one where you would look back on and said there are lessons to be taken away from this and the ducks uh Overall played a very fun game. They ended up winning this game. And I think this just goes to show there there is something special going on here. Yeah. This is, like, this is and, and especially as we look at these numbers, this is not smoke and mirrors with this team. This is a team that is getting it done. They're getting it done without Trevor Zegers. They're getting it done without Leo Carlson in the lineup also. They're yeah. getting good goaltending, but they're not getting like what Thatcher Demko is doing in otherworldly. In otherworldly goaltending and they're not shooting the lights out. They're not getting otherworldly shooting as a whole. Like sure. Frank Vetrano is shooting the lights out, but there's not other lines that are doing that. And so this is a team while yes, they've gotten outplayed here and there over the last little stretch. This is a team that has made massive strides forward this year. Yeah. And it's that whole ability that going back to the beginning of Ben don't break. Like, I don't want to keep going back to last year because at a certain point that just isn't relevant anymore. And it, it doesn't really feel relevant at all right now for where this team is. Yeah, but, it's a reference but, point, though. But we do need the context. And in a game like this last year, where the Ducks come out and they're bottled in their own zone, they will break. They will give up the the one or two goals that puts you yep. behind the eight ball and kind of just seals it you know, minutes into the game. Instead, in a situation where you have a structure, you have concepts that you adhere to, that people believe in, that you have the talent to support it, that you have a goalie who can play within it and give you the saves, you're able to withstand it. Is it a is it a world that you want to live in constantly? Of course not. This like I'm sure I I don't know what the post game comments were, but I'm sure Greg Conan will say some version of, you know, that's probably not what we want every single time. But yeah. you got to have that in your back pocket. There's going to be games where you're up against the wall and you have to find a way out. And the Ducks did that. Yep. Yep. One hundred percent. And. The Ducks now, I mean, I don't, I think this year's a little different just because of expectations on the team and, and seeing where they're at. But I don't typically like to look at standings early on. I like <laughs> looking at process, but no, I'm look looking at, at the standings. Stand- we're, we're looking at the standings. The Ducks have 18 points in 15 games. <laughs> yeah. They, they are on a 600 winning percent or point percentage. Like this is a team that is doing extremely well. They are currently in a wild card spot. They are on pace. I was curious where the what their point pace is. They're on pace for 98 points this season. <laughs> I don't think that that will continue. No. But, I mean, why not? 
I mean, right now, Money Puck, which I think has been harsher on the Ducks' odds than anyone this season that I've mm-hmm. seen for their playoff odds, has them at 25% to make the playoffs. Which, I mean, I don't know the last time the Ducks have had, like, non-trivial odds of making the playoffs. Now, do I think it's going to happen? No, I'm not going to bet on it because that doesn't feel like the smart bet. But the way they're playing, if they keep this up, you know, positive goal differential, contributions from throughout the lineup, good enough goaltending. Well, like, it's it's hard to see how it completely falls apart. You're also going to get healthy. Like, yeah. it, it's come out. So one thing we haven't touched on, Trevor Zegers was placed on IR. And... Yeah. And so it it came out late last week that he's kind of been dealing with a lower body injury. And this is, what, the third straight game that he's missed um, mm-hmm. as a result of that. And uh, he was playing fantastic. Like, I think they're, they're, I think it shouldn't be candy-coated over that. Trevor Zegers, we've talked about it a bunch, but his five-on-five play overall has been great. Even though the point production is not there, he's doing all the little things that Greg Cronin would have wanted from him. Yeah, Pavard Peak wants from him. <laughs> yes. And so if you want to look at the fact that, okay, maybe he doesn't have these points, could you point to the injury? Maybe. But I think it's more so a situation of just low amount of games. But if he's doing that with a lower body injury that's impacting his skating, think about what he's going to do when he comes back and he's fully healthy. I mean, honestly, like, like whatever the injury is, it like it hasn't really been that obvious that he's hurt, like watching him play. No. Now, now may, maybe... Like it's maybe the things that he's not doing. Like we've I've talked about and it's come up how he hasn't really used his skating as much to create yeah. advantages. It's a lot of just using his hands. And maybe that's where it'll come up. Like who knows? Yeah. Yep. And and so this is a team that's missing him. They're, they didn't have Carlson playing tonight. Drysdale is still out. And yeah. granted, the book, book's kind of out on what Drysdale is as a player just because of the injuries. But I still think you can, without a doubt, say he improve, should improve this team. Brock McGinn. Like Brock McGinn yeah. is skating with this team. He's on the ice pretty much every day with this team. I don't he's know been if he's traveled, a while. Yeah. but I would assume that he's probably going to be healthy soon enough to join the lineup. And Brock McGinn should instantly step into this lineup as a really good defensive bottom six player. Yep. And so this team is missing players and they're still doing this. And so I, I think yeah. it, it's, it's really exciting to think about all of that. No, it, it 100% is. And you know, We'll see as the season progresses, you know, how some of these younger players are able to, you know, continue yeah. this level of performance because Paverbeek himself has said a lot of times that you're going to hit that rookie wall, you know, 40-ish games in, and we're not there yet. I don't know if it'll happen. Like, the way Leo Carlson is playing, the way Pavel Minchikov is playing, the way Lacombe is playing, I don't know if they'll just magically become bad players, but there is something to the grind of an NHL season that we don't see. And I mean, again, maybe that's lending credence to this plan for Leo Carlson, you know, to, to keep him fresh for when that going is going to get a little tougher. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to touch on? I mean, from this game, you talked about Jamie Drysdale a little bit, but I do think this is a game where they miss him quite a bit because of his ability to move the puck Mm -hmm. and, and bring it up the ice and make smart decisions. And so I just hope we're going to see him healthy like soon. <laughs> I mean, yep. it, this kind of phantom injury that, you know, we still don't really have much clarity about. Um, hopefully at some point we'll know. It doesn't sound like Zegers should be out for very long though. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it. Like, I think the IR thing, like, I don't know if that's like retroactive or not, but either way, 
interesting things to follow. I think that this team once fully healthy, and that's including McGinn, Drysdale, Carlson, and Zegers. Like they're gonna be a they're gonna be a tough team to play against. Yep, I did not realize this. That was Vakaninen before it was taken away and given to Enrique. That yeah. was Vakaninen's first goal ever. Yep. Yeah, no, that was his. That would that would have been his first career goal. That sucks, but yeah, it is. It is what it is. Um, yeah, and Mighty Flow Hockey's bringing up Zegers went on the trips, and the trip ends tomorrow, so he must be close. Unclear because they put him on IR, and so I don't really know why you would put him on IR if he's close to returning. It sounded like he went on the trip, but Greg Cronin wasn't clear whether he would play or not. It kind of seems clear that he's not if he's on injured reserve right now. But hopefully it's a situation of kind of he's able to be back maybe by Friday, maybe by next week. IR, for, for people that don't know, can be retroactive um, to whenever the first injury, whenever the injury occurred. And I think it happened in the, the Penguins game. So I'm not sure when they did it retroactive to. But he could essentially, essentially if they did it retroactive to last Wednesday, he could be activated tomorrow if they wanted to on IR. And putting him on IR just gives you the extra roster spot. So un- unclear essentially what the logic is here, putting him on injured reserve if you're not calling someone up if and if he's going to be activated so soon. So um, I guess we'll have to wait and see there. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to highlight is Leo Carlson hat trick. I yes. mean, that's a, that's a pretty big deal, just the way yes. he did it, you know, creating space for himself, just a picture-perfect shot, snapshot in the power play. Like, I think that he, he's exceeding all expectations I had for him. Honestly, at the NHL level. One thing I think that has stuck out significantly for me with with Leo Carlson is when he gets kind of the engine revved up, right, in the neutral zone, and he gets Uh those crossovers going, something special feels like it's always going to happen because he's able to gain speed with those crossovers so quickly and being such a big body, it's so fascinating to watch him kind of get that engine going and get around guys so easily and once he kind of gets in the offensive zone or around guys, there's just so much that he can do with the puck because of having a long reach, because of his creativity, because of his hockey IQ. It's just so much fun to watch when that ends up happening. It's happened a couple of times so far. I think there was a play in the Vegas game that, that comes to mind where he did that. I think Philly, there were a couple of games also. Um, and, and, I mean, you also can see his hands are just unreal. There was the goal that I believe, um, Ayersberg, is that the goalie for? Harrison? Harrison, yeah. there we go. The save where, it, yeah, where he got where, robbed. Yeah, and he pulled off like the perfect move it to was, go it to was the back end. Deke. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it's just his glove was in the right spot. So yeah, um, it just a, an absolute joy to watch, absolute treat to watch. Um, you and I disagree with this a little bit, but I would honestly keep Zegris, Carlson, Terry together mainly because I just want to see those guys have a bit more time, and especially if Zegris was hurt, and if Terry is kind of going to be able to. Uh, not overhandle it as much when he enters the zone. I think there is something there that can really be built upon. Well, so a couple things I just want to yep. point out that to your point about Carlson's speed, like in the Pittsburgh game, you know, we saw him attacking like full ice rushes. Like he's done this a few times now, but like he's doing what we call like the punch turn. So like he comes mm-hmm. in and slams on the brakes to get to the inside. And that's not something I've seen him do this season. And I feel like I've watched a lot of Leo Carlson. And so he's, adding layers to his skating. And what I love about that whole approach is that he's always looking to attack the middle, but once he's in the middle, he uses that kind of collapsing defense to his advantage. Cause then he pops it back out to whoever's open to, to give them a better, a better look. So 
he's been great. And then my whole rant on Terry Carlson Zegris is simply just that I don't think that line is optimal with Terry there right now because Terry mm-hmm. isn't a great off puck player yet. I'm not saying he can't be, but Zegris and Carlson are always creating, you know, puck is on their stick and Terry, like where he's best is off the rush, you know, creating out something out of nothing and where he's kind of having to play between defenders and having to find spaces like that's just not and, and where like those little touches mm-hmm. really matter that's not as much his game yet. I'm not saying he can't get there, but mm-hmm. right now there's a lot of sequences with those three where it just kind of dies on Terry's stick because he, he just like can't his brain and his hands just aren't working together. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm waiting to see if that'll change or if maybe he should just be on a line that plays to his actual strengths more. Yeah. And I, I'm completely open to, to change it to just kind of see if there is a different optimal situation. I think with that line, we've seen stretches though. I think the Arizona game comes to mind where they were just purely dominant. They, they were on the ice for all of the chances for and none against. And I think the other thing that's been impressive with that line is just how good they've been defensively. They've been one of the best defensive lines for this team as a whole. Um, and so even when they're not generating chances, they're able to control the expected goal share and the the chance share as a result of just not defending really very often and getting the puck into the other zone. I mean, but they're I still th- they're still a good line. Like yes. I'm not saying no, they're a bad line. No, 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 for sure. And I I think that there is an argument to be had about whether it's optimal or not. I think it's we'll have to wait and see. I mean, the question I think ends up for me coming down to of is Vetrano McTavish Strom optimal? Because I think that they have had even though they've been able to score a bunch of goals. I think there have been some poor stretches from that line overall. And I think the Philly game comes to mind where they were lost in their own zone a bunch at various different yeah. times. And well, that's so, why my my recommendation would be yep. Lip, Strom, and Terry. You know, because Strom to me is a guy who can kind of do all those things that Terry doesn't do that I was talking about. And he'll just kind of be in the right places, let Zegris and Carlson cook. And then flip side, you put Terry with McTavish. And McTavish isn't really a guy who's going to hang on to it a bunch. A lot of give and goes, a lot of creating away from the puck. And that just lets Terry kind of be Terry and just let him be his best version. So if they just did that, I think that that would have maybe an interesting ripple effect. Yeah. Maybe I get Kalorn instead of Vitrano. Like, who knows? There's yeah. a lot of things you can toy with. Also, yep. I just want to bring up that the Ducks have their post-game jacket that they give to the player of the game yep. uh, within the team. And Gibson gave it to Uro Vakanainen despite the goal being taken away. So... Classy cool. gesture, classy Very gesture, classy. because you think about what he's coming back from injury oh, missing yeah. a lot of time. Like, it's just a nice moment for well, him. And for like Willie Crow, we wrote him off. I, and, I, and, I, I wrote him all the way off. <laughs> yeah. Like you and I both like we had various different conversations off podcast about, well, what is Vakanine in here for? He He's clearly going to be waived. He's clearly he's going to be sent down to the minors. And, and he had a poor preseason. Like he admits that Cronin admits that. But to his credit. He like really watched the film that Cronin gave him, used that tool to his advantage, and he's become a very, very good defenseman for this team. Maybe not one that is going to stick in the top six all the time. Just serviceable. And, and that is exactly what they've needed from him. He's gone from being a guy where we thought he would just be an AHLer, and that's what he is. And he is an NHLer. Like he is. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I mean, it, it also, I think, helps him a lot that he's playing with Radko Gudis. Sure you know, a veteran that can just kind of be that steadying force. And, you know, the the numbers for that that pairing aren't great. Nobody's numbers are really great right now on the back end. But I think just watching them play, I think this is just, this is great for Vakaninen 
and and he's doing good things out there. You can see it, you know, just even goal aside, just defensively moving the puck. So good for him. Great moment for him. Yep. All right. Ready to get some questions? Yep. All right. So here we go. Uh, Shake Wing said, who was the best player to play on the Ducks regardless of their time with the Ducks? Uh, basically, who is the best player total career, even if their best hockey wasn't played on the Ducks, and what made them so great? Huh. Um, I think it. I mean, is it still Timu or Paul? It's Timu. Paul. It's either Timu, Paul, or Niedermeyer. I think Pro- there's an argument for Pronger also. Yeah, I'm going Timu Solani. Yari Curry, Poker Pucks throws out as a potential name. Fedorov. Oh, is Fedorov the guy? I don't know. Timu Solani is a lot of points. He does. <laughs> like, it might still be Timu. I need to... Yeah. I forget how many points... Uh, why don't I always almost say Fedorov? Um, better Dan- off. Danny Heatley? No. <laughs> yeah, so Sergei Fedorov had... Uh, why are you saying Fedorov? I mean, that's probably more accurate than Fedorov. Fair, fair. Yeah. Okay, um, fair. But 11.79 and 12.48, which is fantastic, like... Shit, that's amazing. But yeah. Timu Solani, how many points? Let's see real quick. Uh Timu Solani, fourteen fifty seven and fourteen fifty one. So I'm going Timu, I'm sticking with my Yeah, pick. Yeah, that's a good call. Scott Niermeyer yeah. is probably the only person that's in the conversation there. Sheldon Surrey, yeah. 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 Uh Shake Wings also said, Why is hockey so vague with its injuries? Uh I think it's just a culture of like you don't want the injuries being targeted by their players. Like it probably yeah. is like a deeply rooted thing. Yeah, I, I think it's overall dumb, but I think that's probably where it comes from for the most part. Yep. Um, Steve Ruchin's Stan account said, with the advent of the Edmonton Oilers being strong uh, from an analytical standpoint, but not being able to deliver the results to reflect said strong underlying numbers, at what point does Greg Cronin decide to split up the Zegers Carlson Terry line? Not so much a demotion as much as is it is a reconfiguration of the top six. I mean, I could see it getting to a point where he decides to mix it up, but at the same time, like they are playing well. Like it's, yeah. it's a tough, it's a tough trigger to pull. So and I, they're getting I, results from it. the The underlying numbers are good. The results overall for the team are good. I think the question is how long does the second line keep it up? Because Correct. if the second line really dries up, that's when you start thinking, okay, do we have to export? Correct. Some of this goodness in the first line. Correct. And so. the second line has had some some poor games lately, so we'll kind of see because that's where you would end up spreading it up and mixing things up. Yeah. Also, uh, we're being asked if we still hate Gibson. I, I saw that. Chat. Nope. Did we I ever? Mean, we never hated Gibson. We just were honest with kind of how his performances were. He was a hot yep. and, and cold goalie and had very poor stretches at various different points in time. He is on a very good stretch in a much better environment with a coach that is not playing him as much. It He's being put in a much better position to thrive. And, yeah, and but good we, for him. We never like the thing is, wouldn't you rather that you know we're being positive about him now? It should mean more to you because we've been way more critical of him in the past. Like it, this is a, it if we had just always been singing his praises the entire way through, I feel like it would have less meaning. So, yep, yep. Something. To think um. About. All right. Brad says, does the very poor start to the goal season change your thoughts on McIlvain? To be honest, I have not paid attention to the goals that much so i can't say but also like the ahl team should not be judged by wins and losses like it's about developing some of those young key pieces down there and as long as it's happening in in a good environment even if you're losing games if you're competitive then it doesn't really matter so i wouldn't i wouldn't just look at box scores and think oh you know like like 
the AHL team, it's great if the San Diego fans get a Calder Cup or, or get a great winning season. But at the end of the day, for the Ducks organization, that team serves to develop prospects. And as long yeah. as that's happening, then I'm, I'm good with whatever happens. Uh, our good friend Lou said, and by the way, I didn't mention this. These questions are all come from, coming from our Patreon Discord. That is where we always start. And then we kind of jump to, to Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, everything like that afterwards. Um, Lou said, why will Vancouver come crashing down to Earth? Uh, well, they are shooting the lights out. I think their last I checked, their goal to expected goal difference was like 60 between yeah. offense and defense. It's like... Ha- they've scored 30 more goals than expected and saved 30 more goals than expected. Like, that is just not yeah. sustainable overall. Vancouver Vancouver is going to come crashing down to earth at some point. Yep. So, uh, D Frenzy said, this one might require a bit of research, so if you can't answer it tonight, no worries. Do certain NHL clubs prefer certain minor league teams for their prospects? For example, does Zellweger on the Blades last year have anything to do with Sidorov being there now? And I think he was corrected on this. Uh, Zellweger was uh, on the, or we'll see. Uh, he, uh, Blazers. Blazers. Kamloop Blazers, not the the Blades. And so he's like, is it a coincidence to NHL clubs? I think the overall question still applies. Do NHL clubs ever try and guide via trade or something, their prospect to a specific minor league team that they trust? Um, so uh, I don't personally think that there's anything there. Um, well, teams, so teams do have their preferences, like teams, teams, NHL teams do talk to junior teams. Their scouts do talk to the junior coaches. They talk to the European coaches, the European teams, this all happens, but the teams ultimately do what is best for them. Yes. You know, first and foremost. So like a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah. Yep. And I think at the end of the day, end of the day, what they want is their their player in the best environment possible. And so we saw it with with Zelliger last year. the The Ducks may have had a, a minor say of uh, Everett trading him to Kamloops well, because Kamloops well, was going to be hosting the Memorial Cup. Minchikov, I mean, going to Ottawa, like yeah. you could argue that that is what really kind of unlocked him as a player because he went from that freewheeling Saginaw system to yep a much more structured system in Ottawa. And so, yeah, like who knows? But at the end of the day, like it's hard to say from the outside yep uh let's see hey od flow said what is your technical assessment of the ducks goaltender so far this season what are some of strengths and or weaknesses you've noticed from both gibson and dostal oh man i'll leave that to you oh man well man dostal i feel bad because like in the philly game i don't really think any of the goals were really truly on him just a lot of freak plays a lot of Bes- deflections besides the one that ended the soccer goal back yes Man, when I first saw that go in, I was like, oh, no. Yep. I don't need Lucas Dostal giving this up. That That yep. is bad bad for the Dostal stocks. But then they showed the replay, and I was like, in my head, I'm like, there's just no way that's going to count. And I was watching without sound, and then, sure enough, you see the ref wave it off. But I don't know. It's hard to say. I haven't really dived into it fully, so I can't say for sure. But it, it goes back to what we've talked about earlier, which is that they're not being asked to do as much, which shocker is going to help. And also when they are called upon, it's situations that they can thrive in. Like I think Dostal does a good job with like scrambles, you know, keeping his eye on the puck, keeping focused. Gibson is good, you know, can be good at that as well. So when things do break a little bit, their, their strengths kind of play to those situations is what I would say. I like this question a lot from Olaf. 
especially because we probably have a lot of new people tuning in the podcast. He said, with the youth movement and the early season success for the team, we may have a bunch of new hockey people becoming fans or new to hockey people becoming fans. What tips would you give? Uh, would you guys give to them to learn to watch hockey with more of a scout's eye? Oh my God. That is a tough question because I'm I, I'm answering that I'm trying to answer that question myself. I mean, here here's my overall kind of big picture point on this. Try not to focus too much on goals and assists. If oh. you focus solely on goals and assists for how you watch the game, you're not going to end up with a the proper opinion of various different players because you're going to end up with only guys that are doing that, and that can dry up. You're you're essentially judging guys off of singular plays when there are. 40 or 50 shot attempts for each team throughout a game. And so instead of that, really kind of take your eye off the puck from time to time. Look at who's generating that offense for the team, because if you're able to do that and identify those different players, whether it's by watching the game in depth and going through all of it, checking the numbers like we do, you're going to be able to identify the players that are going to eventually break out. And it's going to be really fun to watch. I think Trevor Zegers is one to really focus on right now because We've mentioned it a ton, but he's just been snake bit. He's been generating a ton of chances. Greg Cronin has mentioned it also. And so if you don't focus solely on points or those specific scoring plays, and you're able to look at the totality of the game, you're going to see Trevor Zegers creating a ton of chances both for himself and for his teammates and not be caught in his own zone. And that's going to allow you also to enjoy when he is breaking out more because it's not going to be a situation of, like some people will say, of, oh, he's made a change to his game and, oh, yada 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 he's something something's going better for him things like that no it's the same thing he's been doing it's just the puck is now going in for him as a result of all of those positive plays that he's been making yeah i think definitely detaching from the goals and assists is big Mm -hmm. i would say uh two things one is the goal of the game is to have the puck so if you don't have it get it back and if you do have it keep it and i mean you know, you can go further down the rabbit hole and say, once you have it, try to get it to dangerous areas in front of the net. But look for players and how do they manage to keep the puck, get it to their teammates, because you're keeping it as a team, and how do they manage to get it back? Because the players who tend to do those things well tend to be the better players. Um, yep. Even if they don't score, they still have a role on the team. And then the second thing is, you know, once you can kind of get that down, watch the players who don't have the puck. Because the players who don't have the puck really, really influence what the player with the puck is going to do, right? So how they're defending, how how a forward who's on the attacking team, where he's going to, that's creating passing lanes. So, but first, just focus on having and not having the puck. Like that is the singular most important thing in the sport. Yep. Uh, SP84 said, "Are Jake and Felix in the Crone Zone?" I'm in the Crone Zone. I I have gone on the highway to the Crone Zone. One quibble though. One what? quibble though, can we get Greg a, a collar that that fits? Like I it's know he's always um it's always unbuttoned. I know he's like you know working out and and you know keeping keeping fit, and so maybe he's got the you know the, the muscular neck. But can we yeah. can we button up a little bit here? Just minor quibble. This feels like a question for you, but Ducks Dragonaut said, uh, "What's wrong with Troy Terry, and will he see improvement sooner rather than later?" I don't think anything is wrong with Troy Terry because I think this is just where Troy Terry is at in his development arc. Like Troy Terry for the last three years has been able to do whatever he wants offensively. You know, you're on a bad team. You're going to have the puck when your team does have it. You're going to be freewheeling a lot because you're having to attack that way. You're having to attack off the rush. Now his team has the puck more 
he's playing with better players that are the ones that are driving that offense. So he's having to find ways to contribute without having the puck on his stick offensively. And that's just, that takes time. That takes repetition. That takes study. And so as he progresses, I think that he, he can get there because if we know one thing about Troy Terry is that he's a very thoughtful guy. And so once he kind of learns to balance his aggressiveness and his creativity with kind of that hold off when it's necessary, I think he could he could become even better than he already is. Well, one thing I think we should give Terry his flowers on is defensively he's been so good. Like that is yeah. one part of his game that has not lacked yeah. at all. Yeah. Even if he's overhandled in the offensive zone, <laughs> he is still so strong on the stick in the defensive zone is able to cause turnover, create turnovers, and lead the offense going the other way. I mean, I think he's the biggest driver of the Carlson Zegris Terry line not being caught in their own zone very often. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's a culmination of the three, but sure. Um, but, I, mighty, but I think he is that has the biggest impact out of those three in that situation. Mighty flow saying he's just going through his new dad phase. <laughs> yeah. Could be a thing. I mean, he's, if he's not sleeping a lot, it might not make it easy to make the right decisions. With the Weaver puck. saying how much of the ducks early season surprises can be attributed to Getzloff's impact in his current role. <laughs> I know McTavish credited impact uh, gets off with his improvement on faceoffs, And I wonder if he's had impacts elsewhere that aren't immediately obvious. One thing I'll, I'll add to that McTavish, there was a little profile thing that the ducks Twitter account put out. And, uh, they asked him like, who's his favorite duck, either current or former. And Ryan gets was the person he picked. I would say McTavish and gets have very similar attitudes on the ice. Yes. You know, a little bit of that kind of like asshole productive yes. asshole. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And I, yeah, but like, I don't know because we're not in the rooms. We're not in the meetings. We don't know. We don't even know the extent of his role necessarily. Yeah. But one thing I do know is that if you're trying to build a hockey team with smart players, having one of the greatest playmakers of all time in your corner, like can't be a bad thing. And it yep. probably does help to a degree. Yep. All right, and then we've got a couple more. Steve Ruchin, Stan account, had two questions. McTavish breakdown video win. That's for you. Uh, stay tuned. Perfect stay segue tuned. for uh, the videos. There's going to be what? You're going to do like one or so on the YouTube account, and the rest are all going to be at our Patreon now. Patreon, so yep. Make sure to Join. go pe- check out patreon.com slash crash pond. It will be as part of the new bonus tier that we have that has our two bonus episodes plus the breakdown videos. Um, and they all said, how are the vibes tonight? Vibes are fantastic. Vibes your, HC is alive and well. Get your shirt. Go to crashthepond.com slash shop. Get your shirts. Uh, you know what? Let's just uh, throw it on the screen for everyone who doesn't know. Yeah. So they can see it if it will. Oh, why? you had it. There you go. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. good. I don't know why it's not showing on my side, but that's fine. As long as everyone else can see it. It there looks it good. Is. There yep. it is. Uh, go go get your shirts. They're great. They ship very quickly. Felix, I will get you yours. The hats will be here soon. We we have hats well, in the works. Apparently, the quality is good, too. Yes, so they are they're very, not, very comfortable. They're not just like cheapy shirts that we're trying to make a buck on. They are quality, comfortable. They look great. They, I think, capture the, they capture the spirit of the times very well. Mm-hmm. So, And they help support your favorite podcast. Yeah. And... There may or may not be hats in the works. We need to. We're workshopping we, them. Hats, hats. We really want to make sure that uh, our quality. I love hats, so I want to make sure that uh, any hats that we get from our uh, print-on-demand service are up to the quality that I have. So we we are getting some samples in. Jake this is week. a hat snob, and it works it, one, it, to everyone else's benefit. Yes, 
we we are getting the samples in this week, and then if they're good to go, there will probably be an Anaheim Vibes hat put up very shortly. Ooh. So, yes. Uh, Ducks Dragonette said, is there a world in which the Ducks look to move Cam Fowler in the nearest future? Well, Cam Fowler has to want to move. Yeah. Four team, four team yes, or four team uh, yes Trade list. list, yeah. Yeah, yeah so he, n- not, not likely. And why would he want out? Yeah, the, vi- exactly. the vibes are immaculate. Well, he's been there also for the what four or five years of this rebuild. Why would he want to be traded at this point in time? Right. I mean, think about it. How old is Camp Fowler? Thirty-two. Uh, Thirty. He just turned turned thirty-two, I believe, because I think he's the same age as me now. So think about how you are at how you are as a person at thirty-two. He has been yeah. on this team, the Anaheim Ducks, living in this area since he was eighteen. Like think and now think about how what person you were at 18 he's been he's been here that entire way through like i can't imagine wanting to just up and leave unless it's going really bad and you know with family with children like you know with home ownership like i just with the the team going well like he is not leaving anytime soon and like you know we harped on him a little bit in this game but i think he's been fine this season you know so that's all like, I think at the end of the day, he'll probably settle into a bottom pairing role once all the kids really settle into their role on this team. Yeah. And that, like D.B. Lowry exact- saying in the chat, let him retire Duck. I want to see him, like, it, it's not going to do anything for me to see him go, you know, cup chase. I think it'd be a, a better story. He might be able to cup chase with this team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This so, year. <laughs> well, careful. Yeah. Sorry. Careful. Just, 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 you know, want to throw it out there a little bit. Believe. I know the vibes are great, but enjoy, enjoy it folks. Uh, average, uh, Canadian tie said this game really activated our blue line offense. Whereas we've been lacking that for a bit. Do you think this is the start of a more consistent blue line contribution in future games? Uh, I mean, tonight the puck just went in. Yeah. Like this is how they've been playing or I shouldn't say that. It is the, the D has been active. Active yeah. D has, has been kind of the MO for this team. Yeah, tonight I think the, puck, the, the puck goes in and it, it looks it looks yep. more than it's been, but that's how they've been playing. Yep. Plant Ranch said, do you think the Ducks should push for trading for Kaprizov? If so, how would that affect the lines? I I have not had any time to think about that. I um, haven't either. I, my issue with any sort of trade like that is the amount of assets you would have to give up to get him. And Kirill Kaprizov, he's 26, younger than I was thinking he was because he came to the league at like 23. So for some reason, I was thinking he was older. Yeah. Um, nine million a year. Nine million a year. I think that's a that's tough. I think, I think he's just a bit older than I would probably want. And does probably he make would. sense for where they're at? I don't think so. I think because of his age, he does not. I think your DeBrincat would have made more sense. Yeah, like I think the age isn't the big deterrent for me. It's just that he's a big swing that's going to cost you assets, and this team hasn't necessarily shown that like they're a Kirill Kaprizov away or that a Kirill Kaprizov would really accelerate their track in that way, especially depending on what it costs you. Yep. But the thing with star trades is they're always end up being cheaper than we expect. So that's true. That's, but it would, but it would be a, it would be a no for me. Yep. I would agree with that. Uh, let's see. Got one question on Twitter that said long, this from Brad Silverman, long-term would you rather have Quinn Byfield or Mason McTavish? Ooh, wow. That is a scorcher from Brad. Oh man, I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to offend. Very different players, first and foremost. Is this gonna get me in trouble? Do you think this gets me in trouble? 
I don't know what you're going to say, so I can't say yes or no. But you know what I'm going to say based on the question I'm asking. Like, okay, let me let me put it a different way. Let, okay. let me put let me frame this in a hypothetical. I'm letting hy- you dig your own grave right now. Let me let me put this in a hypothetical. Okay. The okay. best possible version of both players. The best okay. possible version of Mason McTavish versus the best possible version of Quinton Byfield. I think that the Byfield best case is a slightly higher best case than McTavish, but we don't know where they're gonna fall in that. Do you think that do you think that's likely to happen though with what we've seen? I mean he's he's having a great start to the season. Like it's actually starting to, to come together okay. a little bit for, for, for QB. For I QB, would, uh, whatever his name is. I would is. probably go McTavish, but I'm also completely biased in this. And like I my thing is that. if, if McTavish fully hits, you know, he's a guy who I can see being a great defensive forward, but also a power play threat, offensive play driver, kind of just like a, almost like a Swiss army knife type player. Um, yeah. Byfield is 13 points in 14 games. Um, but I mean, McTavish has more points than that, so I don't know. It's a really tough one because you know, especially Byfield at his size, like six five, that that rangy kind of frame. I don't know. You can't go wrong with either. How about that? I'll I'll end on a punt. Okay, I'll, I'll punt right. out. We'll get to questions from our. Twitch and YouTube. So for those of you listening to this on your favorite podcast services, we do a, do a live stream of the show each and every time we go live. Typically, it's Monday at 8 p.m. Keep an eye on my Twitter account for uh, for the uh, mention of when we're going live. Um, but you can find us live at those times at twitch.tv slash crash pond, where if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. And you can be just like Ken Pafu, who subbed for 43 months, Ducks Jaggernaut, who subbed for 14 months, Lou, who subbed for 62 months, uh, and uh, Boise State Fan 5000 also subbed. You can be just like them and help support us in a way that's completely free to you with your Amazon Prime membership. Um, or if you have YouTube, and yes, everyone listening to this episode, you have a YouTube account. We all do. Google's taken all of our information. We all know that. <laughs> Go to youtube.com slash crash pond where you can find our channel there and our live streams of this. You can find Felix's video breakdowns. You can find uh, shorts of this. We may start doing kind of more 10 minute breakdowns uh, of the podcast on there. We'll, we'll see if that's going to be possible to do in the future. Um, but you can find us there and you can give us super chats on there if you want in the YouTube chat, or you can just like, and subscribe to the channel, which is completely free to you and helps us there. And if you watch us there, obviously it's, it's going to help us monetarily also. So, uh, if you want to do that, please help us out that way. So we're going to start getting to our questions. Uh, data dog said, is there a better forward prospect than Yegor Sidorov for the ducks right now? Oh, um, I'm trying to think about who's playing down in San Diego. I mean, you've pa- got past the job. You've got pro, you've got Tracy. I mean, in, in my brief and few viewings, no one has really popped off the page. Um, in San Diego, not saying that none of that you know, they're all bad or whatever, but I don't know. Maybe it is Sidorov, but I, I'm not going to lie and say that I've I mean, watched him a ton. I haven't either, but he has 18 goals in 17 games. <laughs> I didn't know that was the number. Yeah. Oh my god. That that's why people are mentioning it. Eighteen goals <laughs> in seventeen games. Yeah. Goals. Goals. Only nine assists for twenty-seven points, but eighteen goals. Why pass? Why pass when you're an auto goal every game? I feel like every single game, every single time I look in the Ducks prospect chat in our in our Discord, there is another Yegor Sidorov goal. Eighteen goals and what? What the hell? 
What yeah. Is, what, Did, what have you, you've been under a rock then. I mean, I, I'm under a rock. I haven't, you know, followed the prospect stats. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, he, uh, yeah. He got context. He got another uh, hat trick tonight. So I think the 18 and 17 was before that hat trick. By the way, oh no, just, it includes it includes it. It includes it. I just want to give a shout out because there's a great picture on Ali Lozoff's Instagram. So they had the night off, the Ducks broadcast is an ESPN Plus broadcast. And Brian Hayward, John Allers, and Ali Lozoff, and another guy who I don't know who he is, all sitting together in the stands at uh at the Nashville Arena. And I don't know what is in their cups. I don't know if it's like a drink or I don't know what it is, but it's just very wholesome. They look like they're having a great time. Well deserved night off for the for the crew. So, yep. all right, let's see. Uh, we also had this question from Daniel Jacobson. Two questions: Do you think Zegers and Drysdale injuries could partially be because they both missed a good amount of training camp? It's hard to say. So I'm just gonna say this, and I'm gonna leave it at this. This and nothing else. It sure is something that the two players who missed the majority of training camp. Are both injured. That's it. It's unfortunate. It's a correlation. Maybe not causation, but the fact that they are both injured sure stinks. And they also both missed a ton of time before the season. Yep. So. Uh, and Dan- he also said, and for Felix, I know you're a Montreal fan, but since you've been covering the Ducks for so long, do you actively root for the Ducks? And would you consider them your second team? <sighs> that is a tough question. So the way I view the Ducks is different than how I view the Canadians. They kind of they live in what I would call parallel lanes. So the Canadians lane is, I think, how most people think about fandom. It's childhood, growing up a fan, dreaming of the team winning the Stanley Cup, like the whole thing, right? Buying jerseys, uh, you know, the whole nine yards of fandom. The Ducks is different because the Ducks, I have a personal, I have a person, I have a much more personal connection because of doing the podcast for all these years because of having been through all the suck of the last five years because of the way we've been able to get so close to the fan base because of all the people i've met through it because of having covered all the different prospects and now seeing them shine in the nhl like it is just it's not really comparable so when the ducks do well i am happy because it's just like this thing that I pour all this time to is going well. And that's just fun, but it's just, I can't, I just can't compare it to like a childhood team. It's just different. Yep. Completely agreed. And I would agree with that if I was doing this about any other team. Uh, let's see. DB Lowry said with Zegers and Leo out tonight, was John Gibson the most talented passer out there tonight? Holy cow. That through the legs pass was filthy. Is it time to give him the captaincy and make him the new elite first line center? I will say a couple things. Number one, John Gibson is probably one of the worst puck handling goalies I've ever seen. <laughs> but on that play, he sure looked good. He sure looked great. That's all. Okay. Uh, Alex Olvera said, uh, favorite Verbeek era free agent move so far? Ooh. I mean, so that- purely, on, purely on vibes, I think we have a pretty obvious pick. Radko? It has a seven in it. So Radko. Or? Kalorn? Or? Vetrano? There's a lot of the guys they've they've uh 
they've acquired or signed as free agents are wearing sevens. That is something I just realized. Well, I think the vibes guys so far before tonight is Frank Vetrano. I mean, yeah. 11 goals in 15 yeah. games. Like, that's yeah. that's Igor Sidorov uh, level scoring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, man, I just I have the image right now of Radko Gudis in my mind. Uh, so I'm going to go with Gudis just because of the vibes. But, yeah. like, in terms of the best, like, on ice kind of just analytical perspective, I don't know. That's a tough one. Definitely not Klingberg. Ah, no. Actually, no. Scratch that. I'm going to go with John Klingberg just because I like the, the methodology behind it. Of <laughs> that, is a, that is a take. Screw it. Why not? And you sign him to a big deal on one year and you flip him at the deadline. That is a take. Like, like the methodology behind it. I think that was my favorite one that he made. I'll go with Fa- that. Oh, okay. The question was favorite. Okay. Favorite Verbeek. Not best. Favorite. That's true. Okay. Favorite. Mine might also be Klingberg as well because I remember when the Ducks signed Klingberg. I remember exactly where I was. So do I. And which is kind of like, do you remember like, where the, where the hell I was? Uh, I don't know. Where were you? I was in the ho- I was in the hospital. Oh, well, that's that makes sense. That yeah. actually makes sense. Yeah, I, don't yeah, think, yeah. I think you remember it more because of that than yes. if you had just been at home. Yeah. But what I was gonna say is that uh, it is kind of sad that I really remember that that well because like it's you know it is what it is. But um. I just remember it feeling like, oh, wow, this team that we have been covering that has been just, you know, uh, very bad, to put it kindly, has made an exciting move. And this is kind of something that we would sign off on, that we did sign off on. And I remember being very excited about that. Now, did it pan out? No. It, it Whatever the opposite of pan out is, it, it uh, you know, it, it, that's what happened. But I was talking to a friend about this the other day. It was, we were talking about the Sharks, and he was like, yeah, the, the Ducks did not... He, he told me this as an outside perspective. He was like, I did not get the sense that the, that the Ducks were going to be bad going into last season. Like, I did not get the sense just looking at their roster. And I'm like, yeah, me too. They looked like they were just going to be a middling team. So, to all those yep. who say that last year was on purpose, it was not. No. Uh, let's see. Lou said, why did Felix impede his opportunity to shake Paul's hand? <laughs> You know, I'm going to let that be. Okay. I'm going to uh, let that one simmer. CYB in his prime said, when did the Ducks get Yegor? He was drafted this past year in the third round. Yeah. And then C's 91 said, how does he get the Discord? Well, go to patreon.com slash and this is a perfect time to bring this up. Uh, we have adjusted our tiers a little bit um, due to a couple different things, but adding additional content and the fact that we've never raised our prices in the entire time that we've done this. So there's a slight change of now the Discord only tier is at the $2, and at $7.50, you get uh, the bonus episodes and the videos that Felix will be making. If you are a current patron and you are listening to this, you do need to manually change your uh, the tier that you're on to one of those new ones. The old ones are unpublished, and you do have to go in and change that. Um, but that is how you get the Discord. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go check it out. We'll we'll uh, we'll plug it back in here eventually. Yeah. Uh, um, Just a rush guy said, "Do you still trade Henrique and Silverberg at the deadline this season if the Ducks are borderline playoff?" <sighs> Honestly, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that right now. Silver, I, I could see I could see arguments either way. Silverberg, I don't think gets you a whole lot, so I think you would keep in Henry Henrique's the the more questionable one, but 
I don't think Henrique's going to have the offense necessarily this year. I mean, can I say this? Can I say this? What? I don't think Henrique's been that good. I'd agree with that. I think he's in a much different role this year than in prior years. I don't want to say he's lost a step, but he's like noticeably unfast on the ice. Yeah. And he's just not making a lot of plays. Like I just I think, don't. Sorry, go ahead. Like last year, you know, he would, he would like stuff would happen when he had the puck on his stick. And I'm not saying he's been bad this year, but I just he hasn't been as noticeable as he has been in years past. Yeah, I, I'm curious where his value would even be at. So there's that. Yeah. Um, let's end with this shit show questions. Yeah, you, you, I've been wanting to get to these. Okay. I figured I figured we don't have time constraints because you never text me a time limit on this one. So uh, Bob wanted a pushback saying he doesn't whine and then just says that he's kidding. That's a, a pushback on you from last week. So there's uh, that. I mean, hey, whatever, whatever you say. Okay. Whatever uh, you say. Olaf is berserker said, what's the tiredest Felix discord bit? Oh, this is easy. Aqua. Well, no, <laughs> it's it's either Aqua or it's is this game streaming? They <laughs> they are both just horrible bits that no one finds funny. No this one is enjoys. Why, this is why people should join the Discord for my my great bits. We they're infuriating. So well, you put it out into the world, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on it for a second here. But okay. what's wrong with calling the ducks colors plum and aqua? It's not aqua. Like, like plum, you plum, you can at least make the argument for that. It's a similar shade. It is plum. It is plum. It plum, is plum eggplant. There, there's arguments either way. Aqua is not even close to the correct shade. Are aqua, we sure about that? Aqua is like the shark's color. Have we thought about the fact that there are shades of aqua? Like aqua there, isn't isn't a static color. But uh, there are different shades, sure. But those have different lights, and they go darker to lighter. They are not the right color, though. They are not in the same realm. They, it's just is it, 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 is, it, it, it is, is it really a war crime to call it plum and aqua? Is it that? Also, aqua sounds cool. Are are you just gonna pronounce uh, Pavel Minchikov incorrectly? Oh, I love this counter argument by you, because saying an actual person's name incorrectly is way more offensive than just they're like both the a, color sure. of a hockey jersey. Sure. But it's right, still like, the so, same so, concept. So let's let's just hold on. Let's let's play out your hypothetical. Oh, you're great. you're saying you're saying that Kay. saying the the wrong color of a jersey Kay. is just as bad. No. as saying a person, a living, breathing, no. heart beating, no. brain pulsing person's name wrong. No, I'm you're not saying... saying that the Ducks jersey. <laughs> you're saying that the Mighty Ducks jersey is equivalent wow. to a real person. Wow, wow, that is fascinating. Wow. A, a, a inanimate piece of cloth deserves the same this respect is, that, a, a that a human, out that a human in front of us. being deserves. That is actual insanity by you. Is, but anyone I'm, listening to this knows that's not what I said. It was a, a primary example of a similar but if, situation. But if we take it to its logical end, it no. clearly doesn't work. It does still work. It's still insulting and it's incorrect. It's not to the same level of it because you're not insulting an actual person, but you are on purpose not correcting or not correctly choosing the right word for or correct pronunciation, however you want to say it. In, in well, that's the- all operating under the assumption that aqua doesn't apply. It does not apply. Which has not been conclusively determined. Anyone listening to this podcast, go <laughs> Google aqua 
as a shade of color. <laughs> and please tell me if anyone l- listening to this thinks that aqua is the duck's colors. Like, just come on. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, Mitch Brown's beloved is saying, don't need to go to the pod for this one. It's the link to the game bit, which is also tired. Well, what's funny is that I think Lou started do or someone else started doing it. I think, oh, oh, Appa started doing it. So it's like, I just, I inspire, I inspire other people to, you know, have fun. I, I don't know if I make if light. You, I don't know if you should take credit for inspiring people with that. What was the other uh, one that was tired? No, not plumbing. Oh, it was the, is the game on? There's another one that I came up with. Recently. I don't know. <laughs> came up with steve roots and stan account said has felix officially uh, officially transcended into hashtag glix i still don't know what that means but. <laughs> it, it, it's the ai image thing uh turtle committee rules expert expert said why has the brewery been mid to low tier i don't go to the brewery and i don't want to diss anyone so i'm not saying the brewery is mid to low tier when i've gone i've had a fantastic experience Yep, shame on shame on Bob for, shame, for trying to shame, shame, shame on shame Bob on, shame on Bob for trying to interfere with and sully a potential business relationship. Yeah, wow, Bob. Knowing, th- thank you. Knowing full well that that this could potentially lead to something because hey, we have partnerships. We've had partnerships with with breweries. We, we have one currently. Our, go, our flag currently flies at uh, Noble Ale Works. So, uh, will be will be this week or will be. Well, we have our sign, whatever. Yeah, you know what I meant. Point is though, uh, shame on Bob for that. But I'm sure Bob will will be real mad that I said this, and then turn around and say he was just kidding. Yep. And then you, and then and then say that he doesn't do that. Uh, D Rock said, given Vitrano's recent dismissal of SoCal Pizza on the What Chaos Pod, which pizza place in SoCal area do you think is best? I mean, I I've never really had that great of pizza in Southern California. Oh, what's the name of it? Uh, Brooklyn. There was that place by where Brooke, you used to live. Brooklyn. So Brooklyn City Pizza in Laguna Niguel is extremely, extremely good, like New York style pizza. Like really, really good. They have Sicilian pie also. It's delicious. Um, Lunita's Pizza, though, in San Juan Capistrano, if you're looking for like, a, if you like Detroit style, Detroit style pizza from Lunita's is really, really good. It's more so a sheet pan pizza. Um, lots of different varieties. It is a cash only order through text message kind of pop-up ghost kitchen type deal, but not really ghost kitchen in um, El Maguez in San Juan Capistrano. It's delicious. Go check it out if you're in the area. You will not be disappointed with the pizza that you get from them. Hmm. Yeah, I've been wanting to try that place you're talking about, the yep. Detroit style, but I'll yep. be I'll be in your area soon, so yep. you can take me there. All right. Uh, Olafus Berserker said, what's Felix's issues with grilled cheeses? Oh, are you ready for this? I'm not ready. Why? Why did is, I read this question? Is is uh, is the world re- ready for this? Oh, Have it. we considered? You know, close your eyes, let open your mind of minds, um. let the apple of your eye speak. Have we considered what grilled cheese even means? Because if you think about it, a grilled cheese, which is what we call it, a grilled cheese sandwich, the the cheese isn't grilled. The only thing that's grilled in a grilled cheese sandwich is the bread. So why are we calling it a grilled cheese? We're not taking a slice of cheese, placing it on a skillet, and letting it grill up. Therefore, I would contend that grilled cheese is a misnomer, and it should just be called a cheese sandwich. 
Or if you're going to go the grilled cheese route, make sure to include sandwich at the end. Because then it makes more sense. A grill, a, a cheese sandwich that is grilled. Grilled cheese sandwich. But do not just say grilled cheese. How many sandwiches don't include sandwich at the end? And it's inferred that it's a sandwich. A BLT. You don't say a BLT sandwich. You say a BLT. A, yeah, uh, but see, a, but, but see a, here's a, the thing. A, tur- a turkey club is a turkey club sandwich. You don't have here's, to add sandwich at the end. Here's the problem with that, though. A BLT is still more accurate than grilled cheese. Because bacon, lettuce, tomato still exists no matter what. Regardless of what happens, uh, bacon, lettuce, tomato are still there. A cheese is never, ever, ever, ever grilled. That never sandwich happens is, in a grilled the cheese. The sandwich is but grilled. But the cheese, grilled it, cheese, but, that yes, doesn't happen. But it's a gr- the sandwich is grilled. <laughs> you are taking this way too literally. It's a grilled cheese sandwich. You can drop oh. the sandwich like any other time you drop sandwich in a Shame conversation. Shame on me. Shame this on is, me for caring about is, words. Plant Ranch is saying this is making him stupider. I took off my headphones for a specific reason. Grilled cheeses <laughs> are great. I should have I should have honestly just muted you. That would hey, we, been the we we've been having to cut our podcast short as of late and I've been very very busy. And so the, today's podcast is just a lot of pent up energy coming ah, out. Okay. So. Uh, Steve Ruchin's stand account said is poutine base. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Turtle. Com- uh, Bob said, uh, "Does Lou leave er- uh, early for away games too?" Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. He did leave early. He he self admitted that he turned the game off at the end of the second period because it was on Hulu, and Lou has a CRT TV, I guess. One that doesn't can't get Hulu or it's, yeah, doesn't why work can, well. Why, why couldn't Lou do a basic streaming function tonight? It's very unclear why Lou cannot do that. So there, there's that. But he he did leave the game early. He did turn can, it off. So can we talk about something? Okay. There's there's two things. Okay. One is Lou was desperately trying to shake Paul Korea's hand at the game, and he kept putting in our chat in our Discord. I want to go shake his hand. I want to shake Paul's hand, but never actually said who Paul's was. So we just had to guess that it meant Paul Korea. But just the thought of Lou just walking around Honda Center, hand <laughs> extended in, in handshake position, just just whirling around trying to get someone to shake his hand is just cracking me up. And secondly, Lou was sitting next to an event that I wish had not happened at the game. Someone getting tattooed on the night of the, the, the legacy night or whatever, tattooed in arena. Like, I don't know about you, but if I were to get a tattoo, which I never would, all due respect to those who do have them, but I never would, personal choice, you get it. If you know, you know. But if I were to get tattooed, I would want it to be in a sanitary environment. Yep. And a building that has tens of thousands of people in it, like, I know they do they do as good of a job as they can to keep it clean, but not quite my idea of uh, sanitary. For I mean, tattoo purposes. Respect to that guy. He has a really cool story for his tattoo, though, for the rest of his life. So, yeah, really cool. I have there. a might have an infection with it, but yeah, uh, we'll find out <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast. Reach out to us. Uh, <laughs> Ducks and Five uh, said, uh, "Has Felix been barstooling the Discord lately? When was that put out? When, to, when did he put at that? Four fifty-six. What what is what does barstooling mean? Like being like the barstool website." Exactly what, is, what you've done about the grilled cheese. What does that mean? I don't think that's uh, what Barstool does. They would they would actually be funny if they did that. That would be a great <laughs> choice by them. Okay. Instead, I don't know. They're they're doing other things. Your so. uh is, is uh is the game streaming? Okay, we'll move. That's on. funny. Uh, 
I don't that, think anyone actually thinks any of that's funny besides you. Also, Ducks Juggernaut putting in the shit show questions. <laughs> my favorite GIF. <laughs> my, it's just a GIF of a cop like trying to battering ram a door open. And this is like... <laughs> so, I don't know how I first found this GIF. But he has a he for some reason has a McDonald's logo on his sleeve. And I have no idea why that is. Um, but the way I found it is not typing police into the gift search. It's typing polizia, like Italian. I don't know why I did that in the first place. Um, <laughs> but this this comes up if you search police in Italian. So Okay. Well, there it is. Anyway, that was a lot. This was yeah. a lot. This show was a lot. Yeah. This show was a lot. But that's okay. And see people saying that the gif is funny in the chat. So that No, that gif is funny. I give you that. See? I'm one for three. Put me in the Baseball Hall of Fame right now. Right now. I am worthy. I am better than Barry Bonds. Put me in. Uh, 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 wow. By the way, no one, no one, no one, and I mean not a single person on this Wants earth. Wants to face these ducks in the first round. That, but no one on this earth, no one on this in this universe cares about this, but I will say it anyway. In the Crash the Pond Fantasy Football League, my team just snapped a six-week losing streak. I went through multiple different months on the calendar without winning a week. So I'm gonna, my, I'm gonna pat myself on the back on stream. This is the opposite of eating a hat on stream. I'm patting myself on the back. Clip this. I am patting myself on the back. It's great. That oh, look at that. I'm, I'm four and six. By the way, I'm also gonna shame good friend of the show, Mike, because he did not set his roster this week. And I don't care that he was on a great trip to Lake Tahoe. You have to you have to set your lineup. Oh damn, you and I are you and I are both four and six. Yeah, and I think we play soon. Oh, there we go. Alright. I think that's gonna do it. Anything else? No. I feel like I had something else though. Dang. It's gonna bug me. <laughs> oh, Mike still beat Lou and didn't set his lineup. That's really embarrassing. <laughs> that's really embarrassing. <laughs> Ouch. Brief update, by the way. Oh, this is what I wanted. Our our uh, Crash the Pond draft. Oh, yeah. I currently lead you by 24 points in the points draft because you drafted the Oilers. Oh. Oil Oilers and Flames. Oilers and Flames. And you have a big lead on me in the Misery draft because... You know, I'm good at identifying bad teams. Well, because, I mean, drafting the Sharks really, yeah. really was a big win for you there. Yep. Um, wanted to get your quick thoughts on three on three, and oh, the the the, oh. the the stupid scuttlebutt that, oh, that's the come scuttle, up. The scuttlebutt's stupid. Don't don't artificially make new changes to shit just because. It's fine. The worst part of three on three is when you have extended offensive zone time. Don't put in these things to force more zone time. The best part is having uh, rush chances that end up happening, and that they only still happens happen. when. And they happen when teams circle back also. Yeah. Like, like they, they happen they happen more when teams do that than when they have are stuck in their offensive zone. And a oh, shot clock and a shot clock's dumb. Hockey has never had a shot clock. Adding one for this random situation doesn't make any sense. Well, the the problem with these things is that they create these bright lines. And so we're gonna get a situation where like the whole half court rule thing okay, what if he was like a foot behind it or like he had a stick, the puck came slightly behind the line. Are you going to invalidate 
the whole goal because of that. Like it, it's just going to become this added layer that we just don't need. You know, leave three on three alone. Leave the shootout in because it's great. There's really there's just nothing wrong with these things. Yeah, um, and, leave it, it as, and it and it's fine because you still have ga- so many games ending in three on three. Like it's not like you have yeah. a shit ton of shootout games. Yeah. So, so. anyway. We both agree. Um, yep. the, the only thing I want to say is that the Sharks are leading the Panthers right now late into the third period. Damn, look so, at the Sharks go. Hey, I I did not pick them in the misery draft because I didn't think they would be horrible. And Oh, they're maybe, bad. Maybe I was right. <laughs> maybe I was right. Hey, they've right. won. Oh, no, they've lost two in a row. Anyway, on that note, thank you for listening, everyone. If you have stuck till the very end, I applaud you. This was a crazy pod. It's a crazy night, crazy game, fun times. Thank you for joining us. If you want to help support this show, there are a few very easy ways for you to do that. The number one way is to go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. For $2 a month, you get access to our patrons only Discord server. And this is where you get to connect with other diehard Ducks fans. <clears throat> you also get to know exactly you know, what the latest breaking news is without having to go on Twitter. It's all in there for you. We've got Derek Lee in there. It's just the best $2 and it, it helps support us. And then for seven fifty a month, you get access to the discord. You get access to two bonus podcasts. So we're going to talk more about the ducks, other teams as well, two bonus episodes of those. And then the player breakdown videos that I have been doing on YouTube, more of those at the Patreon and on those, you're also going to get prospect videos. So AHL prospects um, going to dive into that AHL film and give you guys some great breakdowns. So that's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That greatly helps the show. Leave us a rating on Spotify. Leave us feedback there. Um, go and check out our shop, crashthepond.com slash shop. Join Vibes HC. Get yourself a Vibes HC t-shirt. Find us on all social media, Instagram, uh, TikTok, X, everything, you name it, we're there. Follow our YouTube, subscribe to us there. And on that note, thank you for listening, everyone. Talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.